If you're feeling discouraged and ridiculed because of your faith, then stay with us. Today's message on Through the Bible is just for you. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and today we begin in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. And I'm really excited to get started because this is one of my favorite sections of the Old Testament, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But first, let's listen to Dr. McGee read a letter that'll give you a hint. He begins by saying, what a blessing you've been to me. I am a completed Jew, having accepted Jesus this past April. Typically, my Jewish heritage was one of tradition, rituals, and holidays. Although I cherish my background, I surely didn't know from whence it came. Actually, Jesus was a curse to me. I felt the tuggings at my heart in March as I fell in love with a minister that was teaching the Word of God. And he says, since I knew no one in Los Angeles with whom I could ask questions of, I turned to you as I drove to work. At that time, you were studying the Old Testament. How thrilling it was to not only hear about my Jewish heritage, but have a bridge from the old to the new. No longer was I afraid that by accepting Jesus, I'd be giving up who and what I was as a Jew. Well, the rest is history, as they say. I came to the Lord in April, and then he goes on to say that the Lord has created not only a new creature, but one who is very hungry. And he tells about how he's been studying. And then he says here, please remember that it was through you and your radio ministry that taught me that there is a real need to study both testaments together. And friends, the thing that makes this so remarkable and unusual is we're attempting to do is to teach the entire Bible, all 66 books, and they all need to be put together to get the complete picture, you see. And I am happy to get a letter like this of how this young Jewish fella found out that's through the Old Testament that really Jesus Christ has come to mean so much to him. It's true. The Bible is a complete picture of God's redemptive work from Genesis to Revelation. And today we'll see a great deal of God's redemptive work in the book of Nehemiah. Now, here's a more recent letter that comes from Sue in Aiken, South Carolina. My husband Tom and I were saved listening to McGee teaching Revelation in the fall of 1974. We've been listening and supporting ever since. Now I give out Bible bus cards the size of business cards with a cute little bus, the TTB website, and a brief description of the program. I always keep these in my purse or with my bike and in my pockets to give out. Listening to God's Word over and over through the years has affected us profoundly and will forever. We have been so blessed to get such a wonderful spiritual education that has equipped us to pass the truth on and on and on. 
Well, thank you, Sue. Thank you for your financial partnership and for being an ambassador for the program. And because of the prompting of Sue and others, we now make business card-sized Bible bus passes available so that you, too, can share through the Bible with your family and friends. Each card also has a little QR code and our web address that will direct them to the program. And you can call 1-800-65-BIBLE to request your 10-pack for free. Now, next, we've got a letter from a listener named Bill in Auburn, California. While I'm not certain of the date, I am rock solid about the events. At some time in 1958, my brother-in-law invited me to go with him all the way from the far side of Pomona to downtown Los Angeles to hear what he said was an unusual pastor's Bible study. Well, he was right. Dr. McGee just plowed through the scriptures like it was a textbook on life. Over the next two and a half years, I continued to attend the Thursday night studies, and my Christian growth was very evident. It would be a wonderful fairy tale if I told you that I persisted and remained rock solid until this day. But the truth is that our little family left the area, and as it says in Luke 8, we fell among the thorns. The Holy Spirit must have cringed as he saw my actions and heard my words over the years. But I thank God that he is a God of second chances, or perhaps I should say a hundred second chances. None of us knows how many chances we'll have before it's too late. But I praise him that my family made it into the fold. I regret those wasted years, but back on the Bible bus and contributing so it's still ready and waiting for the next prodigal to hop aboard is my great reward and privilege. Well, that is such a great story and perspective. Thank you for joining us each day and for keeping the Bible bus running in your neighborhood and around the world in more than 200 languages. Well, you know, you can partner with us as well in sharing God's whole word with his whole world by calling 1-800-65-BIBLE or visiting ttb.org forward slash give. Let's pray together now. Lord, we're so thankful that you make the truth of your word go deep into our hearts so that we can reflect your glory and grace to the entire world. We pray that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying Nehemiah 2 and 3 today on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So let's get started. We come today to chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verse 17. Now, you will recall that Nehemiah, moved by the word that was brought to him from Jerusalem, that things down there weren't going well, and that the city was in great distress, the people were discouraged. He got a leave of absence from the king. And he took about the whole army of the Persians to get him down there. And he called on everybody for help. Now, it's all right for him to do that. When Ezra went, Ezra didn't get near that help at all, didn't get any. God uses both methods. And he'll lead you differently than he'll lead me. And he's going to lead me differently than he's going to lead this man way up yonder, well, in Timbuktu. Now, will you notice that when he got there, he didn't enter with a fanfare of trumpets. He says, so I came to Jerusalem. Very quietly, he made an inspection. He took an inspection tour by night so that he would not attract any undue attention because he wanted to know before he began whether they'd be able to do the job or not. And he saw how terrible it was, but he believed it could be done. This man, Nehemiah, was a real optimist. He's the kind of a layman that you like to have along with you today. I thank God for the man of God, the businessman that God 
has made our friends in getting the Word of God out. Unfortunately, some of them are our enemies. They try to hinder the getting out of the Word of God. But that's the way it has to be, because Paul says, "...a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries." And so this man, Nehemiah, was one of those who wanted to rebuild the wall. Now, having made the inspection, evaluated the work, and made this proper survey... He called a meeting, verse 17, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that ye are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me, And they said, Let us rise up and build. Now, Nehemiah called a meeting of the leaders in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. And he told them how God had led him, that he'd taken this leave of absence, he'd come to Jerusalem, that he'd already made the inspection, that he saw what the situation was. And now he says, Let's do this. God's with us. Let's do it. And then they all responded to his enthusiasm, and they said, let us rise up and build. Now, Nehemiah was a real leader, a God-inspired leader. And what happened? Well, here's our familiar word again. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Now, he could have given us a great deal of excess verbiage here again and told about how they came together and how they responded to his leadership. Well, Nehemiah doesn't do that. He's a very modest layman that stays in the background. Now, will you notice verse 19? But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Now, here was the enemy. Three of these, these are nice little trio to have around you, friend. And I suppose that every man of God not only has wonderful laymen around him like Nehemiah, but he also has a few of them like Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian. And the enemy will use different methods to try to discourage you. And generally the first one is to laugh at you and ridicule you. I remember that when I was first converted, I worked in the bank, and I went the limit. I must confess, I was in grave sin there. And I never shall forget when I made the announcement, I was resigning, and that the Lord had called me to the ministry. I want to tell you, I didn't know you could be ridiculed like that. And I left there. I never shall forget the day I walked out of the place and how discouraged I was. I felt like just giving it all up and going back and say, look, fellas, I was kidding you. I just want to come back and be one of you again. Well, I soon found out I was frozen out, and I lost a lot of my so-called friends. They really were not, because they didn't go along with that, because they believed in it was the days of prohibition, drinking that rot gut liquor in that day and running around. And so I went back to school. Oh, how discouraging it was. And I found out since then, when we began this radio program, 
Why, very frankly, the very man that should have supported this radio, why, they ridiculed it. Why, they said they didn't believe in it. And they don't believe in it to this good day. And yet we started out with one program, and I had the support of some good men. And they said, you can do it. And I must confess, along the way, I got very discouraged. And we just believe God is in it, you see. But the enemy started out ridiculing. But he doesn't do that anymore. That is the first phase of the devil's warfare against your friends. He'll have the folk make fun of you and ridicule you as a Christian. And you'll find the going extremely rough. Then notice what happened. This man, Nehemiah, I can't help but love him. I hope you do. Verse 20, he says, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he'll prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. What Nehemiah said is this. He said, Get out of my way. We're going to work. And God is with us in this. How wonderful. And God was with them. Now we come to the rebuilding of the walls, which was one of the greatest building projects I ever heard of. And it was a tremendous thing that this man did. Now, I want you to notice this because it's a very wonderful way that God is moving. Now, you see, God had led Ezra back there and Zerubbabel, and they came back differently And they were to rebuild the temple, and they did. And Nehemiah is a layman, and he's going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And God does it differently. God always moves like that, friend. Many of us today in the ministry, when we started out, we tried to imitate somebody. Well, that doesn't work. We just have to be ourselves. Have you ever noticed what God can do? God can take one nose... And he can take two eyes and two ears, and he can make a billion kinds of faces. No two of them alike. He sure can go in for variety, working with just, well, let's see, two eyes, one mouth, one nose, two ears. And look what he comes up with. And then he can take just a finger. And no two fingers are alike. The fingerprints are all different. God does it like that. And he intends for each one of us to be ourselves, you see. Now we have the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, and they're given to us in a most wonderful way. They're given to us, actually, according to the gates of Jerusalem. And ten gates are mentioned here. And you begin with the sheep gate, and we end with the sheep gate. Actually, ten gates... And then we come back to the sheep gate. And if you want to count it again, it would be 11, but 10 is good enough. So that's all that we have here. Sometimes the question is asked, were the other gates in the wall of Jerusalem? I don't think so at that time. It could have been. But these 10 are picked out because these 10 tell out the story of the gospel. They give God's salvation. And I have a little book, The Gospel in the Gates of Jerusalem. And I want you to notice that. And we begin now with chapter 3, The Gospel in the Gates of Jerusalem. We are told, Then Eliashim, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate 
and they sanctified it, set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it under the tower of Hananiel. Now, here is the sheep gate. This is the gate where it all began. This is the gate where the Lord Jesus came into Jerusalem. We have the record on one occasion when he came in through this gate, came to the pool of Bethesda, you will recall. I think, frankly, that every time he came into Jerusalem until the triumphal entry, then he came in the east gate. Some make the mistake of identifying it with the golden gate. I hear people say because that east gate is sealed up today, that it won't be open until Jesus comes through that gate. That's not the gate that he's talking about. It's the golden gate. The golden gate is the gate to the temple. And that's the gate that will be open for him, which will lead him right into the holy of holies, of course. But the sheep gate is the gate where the animals were brought in for sacrifice. It's the gate that our Lord entered. And I think that what he was doing, he was acting out, as it were, giving in a walking parable the thing that John the Baptist had said way up yonder in the Decapolis country when John the Baptist pointed him out and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And then he identified him again. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God in his person and in his work. He takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, in the picture of the sheep gate, you have the cross of Christ. Now, this is where you begin with God. It's the only place you can begin with God is at the cross. God is not asking you or me for anything until we've come to Christ and accept him as Savior. God has the world today shut up to a cross. And God is not saying anything to the world about what you're doing, your life, your service. He's not asking anything of you until you've come to Christ and trusted him. God is saying to the lost world today, just one thing, what will you do with my son who died for you? Now, until you answer that question, he just doesn't have any other word for you. Now, if you turn him down and say, well, I don't want to accept it, then God's not asking you for anything. I think we ought to make that clear. I would like to even make it clear on the radio. If you're an unsaved man today listening, and you hear, and you'll very seldom hear me say anything about supporting the program, but I'd like to say to you, we're not talking to you. I'm talking to believers when we're talking about supporting the program because God's not asking you, my friend, for anything. He doesn't want anything from you. He has something to give you. His son died for you. And the sheep gate sets that before us. It all begins at the sheep gate. Now, notice what happened after that. Verse 2, And next unto him builded the man of Jericho. Now, Jericho is the place of the curse. And that's right next to the sheep gate. That's interesting to me. And the man of Jericho came up from down in the Jordan Valley. They came up, and this was closer to them, and they builded right there next to the sheep gate. And by the way, if you come around the Mount of Olives on the road from Jericho, you'd see that you're right there at the pinnacle of the temple, and the temple area is there. Now, that's where they built, right next to the sheep gate. 
You see, Jericho was the city on which the curse was pronounced. You remember that it was said to Joshua, Cursed is the man that rebuilds this city. And in the days of Ahab, there was one who rebuilt it, and the curse came upon him and his sons. Now, it was the city of the curse. Now, you and I live in a world that's been cursed by sin. All you've got to do is look around you today. I don't have to labor this point. You and I live in a world, my friend, in which there is the curse of sin. And my, how man's got this world in a mess. He just doesn't seem to be able to solve his problems. And there are those today in high places that are not Christian that are saying that the problems are beyond the solution that man can offer. And so you and I live in a cursed world today. Curse of sin is upon it. Only the cross of Christ, only the death of Christ can remove the judgment of sin from your life and my life. Because the soul that sinned, it shall die. My friend, that's a judgment on you and it's a judgment on me. Now, Christ can bear that for you. If you haven't trusted him, you can trust him. Now, we come next to the fish gate. But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaniah build. Now, the fish gate was where the fish were brought in from the Mediterranean and from the Jordan and from other places. And they were great fish eaters in those days. And the fish gate was one you wouldn't have any problem locating, friends. All your nose would lead you to the fish gate. Now, what does the fish gate speak of? Well, the Lord Jesus said to these men that followed him, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, after they got the gospel, the facts of the gospel, he said, now tarry in Jerusalem. Don't go now until you be endued with power from on high. They needed to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and must be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and then filled by the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, they were filled. They became fishermen, not fishing on the Sea of Galilee, but fishing in a world And today, that's what God is saying to his own. Now, he's not asking any unsaved man to be fishers of men. How could he? He wouldn't even know what he was talking about. But he's saying today to his own, he says, I want you to fish for man. Now, I believe all of us can do it differently. Now, I disagree with these people today that say that you're to knock on every door. I don't think every person can do that. I think some people make a mistake in doing it. God hasn't asked them to do that. I think that some people are called to do it a little differently. Prayer evangelism, I think, is reaching more people today than any other way. I read a letter from sisters. They told me they pray for me every day. My friend, this broadcast is going out by the prayer of some sisters in a Roman Catholic monastery. And there are others praying for us today. That's part of our ministry. You can do that. There are others that are standing with us today supporting it. And they're just as vital a part of this ministry as I am. And these that work here in the office, I have folk here that work in the office. I'm a lousy administrator, and I'm not a man for detail. I don't like to sit at a desk. I like to be out and moving, going, meeting people. May I say to you, we all got different gifts. In fact, he just took a nose and a mouth, two eyes and two ears, made all of us differently, and he's given all of us a different gift. But I'm of the opinion that all of us need to go through the fish gate some way or another. 
and you can have part in getting the Word of God out today. Now, if you have a preacher that's teaching the Word of God, you ought to have part with him. He needs your support today, a good minister who's really teaching the Word of God. And I found out as I've gone over this country in many places. Now, there are a lot of places where they say they teach it and they don't teach the Word of God at all. I'm amused at what some people call Bible study during the week. They picked up this that we began years ago, and they just repeated. It doesn't mean anything. My friend, the Word of God needs to go out. You and I need to support the Word of God ministry today. And that brings us to the fish gate. I can't go through any more gates today, but next time we're going to continue to go through the gates of Jerusalem. So until then, may God bless you, my beloved. What a great message. To go deeper in your study of the symbolism of these gates, visit ttb.org forward slash booklets, where you can download a free digital copy of Dr. McGee's booklet, The Gospel in the Gates of Jerusalem. Our Sunday sermon this week is a great one. Dr. McGee will preach on the reality of the resurrection. It will set the tone for a terrific celebration of the resurrection of our Lord, so be sure to grab your Bible and join me. You can listen online, you can download our app, or see if your local station carries the Sunday sermon all by visiting ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you out. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you here next time as we continue our adventure through the Bible. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?